Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing out there? Woo, man, you guys were singing. You just were going for it this morning. I love it when I hear you guys sing. So uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the uh, pastors here of OneChurch.tv. Our mission is to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And if this is your first time here, I'm so stoked that you're here because you could not have come at a better time. Uh, if this is your first time at One Church, or maybe you don't know a lot about the Bible, or you don't know about a lot about church or anything like this, you picked a great time because we're starting a new series here called It Starts With One. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Acts, Acts chapters 1 through 6. There's actually, some of you, you, you probably know this, but some of you might not, your book, the Bible, is actually not just one book, but it's actually multiple books. There's letters, there's history, there's poetry, and we're going to be studying out of the book of Acts, which is the history of how all of this got started. Now, some of you, you're like, how did Christianity start with just like Jesus, and it spread to where we're at today, where we have 7 billion people on this earth, and over a billion people identify themselves as Christians. How did that happen? How did we get so many different churches, so many different denominations, so many people saying that, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in what the church is all about? Or maybe, what is the church? Uh, and how did all of this get started? If those are some questions that you've ever thought about, that's a, these are some of the questions we're going to be answering in this series. And this whole, it starts with one, and the one that we're going to be looking at today that it started with was Jesus. It started with one person. So before we can get into the book of Acts, we actually have to open up and look at the book of Luke. So uh, if you would, if you have your Bible app or if you have the Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, and, uh, and then we're going to get into Acts eventually. Now here's the reason why we have to go to the book of Luke. The book of Luke was written by a guy by the name of, anyone know? You guys are like rock stars. You guys are like rocket surgeons. Why brain surgeons, rocket, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's written by a guy by the name of Luke, and we call Luke, uh, it's actually one of four of the Gospels. And what is a Gospel? A Gospel is just a biography of one person, Jesus Christ. So if you open up to the beginning of your New Testament, the first four books we call the Gospels is just a biography of one person, and that is Jesus Christ. Now Luke wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. Now, something interesting, Luke is the only uh, person who was non-Jewish, he was a Gentile, to write the, uh, these two books of the Bible. In fact, this is something that's also very interesting. The book of Luke and the book of Acts used to be one book. But when we decided to put a binder on it, we just decided whoever made those decisions said it's just a little bit too big. So we're going to break it up into the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, this is the reason why Luke decided to write the book of Luke. This is what it is. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from who? The early disciples. Luke says that there are other accounts of Jesus' life that had been written. Uh, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Matthew. By the way, anybody want to take a guess who wrote the book of Matthew? 
Welcome to One Church. That's right, Matthew. Mark was written by a guy by the name of John Mark. And by this time, as Luke is starting to write this uh, account of Jesus, John had not been written yet. John was actually the last one that was written. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all basically all about Jesus. It's the first four books of the New Testament, and it's a biography because it tells talks of one person, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3, he says, I I'm going to investigate a little bit more, and I want to give you an orderly and very detailed account of Jesus' life. That's what verse 3 says. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write, look at this, a careful and orderly account for you, most honorable Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, he's writing to a guy by the name of Theophilus, and the Theophilus, it actually means lover of of God. So I think that's kind of a cool name. You want to name your kid Theophilus? Uh, I always think of Theo from the Cosby show. But anyway, uh, so, but why, so why did Luke write this? Look at this. So that you can be what? Let's say that all, it's all skate morning. So that you can be what? Certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. You see, the reason why Luke wrote the book of Luke is because he wanted people to be certain of the truth that they were taught about Jesus. So Luke is writing to this guy by the name of Theophilus to give proof, investigation, and a chronological and orderly account of what Jesus happened in his life and his ministry. Jesus lived for 33 years. And Jesus' ministry didn't really start until he was about... 30 years of age. He died at about 33 and a half years old. And this is something that's very, very interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books all written about Jesus, if you put all of it together, only give us about 52 days out of Jesus' life and ministry. 52 days out of a three and a half year ministry and only 52 days out of a 33 year life. In fact, this is what John wrote in John 21, 25. He says this, Jesus also did many other things. What, what John is saying is he's written, he, Jesus has done so many things, but I, ha, I, I can't write about them. Why? If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So when you combine Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, it gives us, it doesn't really even give us a comprehensive, comprehensive picture of Jesus' life and ministry. It just gives us 50 two days. And no one gospel is complete into itself. You have to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all in account. This says this in Acts 1, 1 and 2. So remember, Luke and Acts used to be one book. So in Acts 1, he says this, in my first book. Anybody want to take a guess what the first book was? Luke, exactly right. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after uh, being after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the who holy spirit so the acts is a sequel of the book of luke written to theophilus named lover of god it's like it picks up right when luke leaves off it's a sequel so the reason why he wrote it is found in Acts 1.1. It says this, in my first book I told you everything that Jesus began. Everybody say began. Began to do and teach. That began is a really big word because it, it means that he began something, but there's something more to come, right? 
That, and that's where the book of Acts shows up. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Here's our big idea today. Our big idea is simply this, that the book of Acts is the historical movement from Jesus for us to Jesus through us. Let me break that down a little bit. The book of Acts is the historical movement. This is history. This actually happened. It's historical. How many of y'all, let me hear you, hate history? Let me hear you. All right. How many of y'all love history? Let me hear you. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. And let me tell you, here's the reason why. If you were like some of the ones like, yeah, I hate history, here's probably the reason why you hated history is because you probably had a very bad teacher teach you history. Because when, I, I remember when I was in sixth grade at Richview Middle School, uh, I, one of my uh, history uh, teachers there, his name was Mr. Stedman. And Mr. Stedman made history come alive for me. I remember one of the things that he said, I'm, I, again, I'm 46 years old. I can remember what my sixth grade teacher said. Now that's good teaching. He said this, those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And he just made it come alive. So the book of Acts is the history of the church. And it's not just historical dead, it's historical movement. We're going to see movement all throughout the book of Acts. And some of you, how many of y'all like action movies? I love action movies. I do. I like explosions. I like shipwrecks. I like sometimes people dying as long as it's not me. I mean, I, I, I love action, right? I do. Well, the book of Acts is all about that. There's shipwrecks, there's mystery, there's spirituality, there's some ooey-gooey, creepy things that go on. Uh, uh, Paul once preached too long of a sermon, and a teenager fell out of a second-story window, died. Paul interrupted his sermon, went, woke him up, resurrected him, and finished the sermon. Right? Some of y'all think, I preached too long. I'm just saying, all right? I mean, there is, if you like Indiana Jones-type adventures, you're going to love the book of Acts. You just are. There's so much excitement. There's earthquakes. There's prison breaks. There's riots. There's, it's, it's so exciting. We're going to have such a good time going through this book. And it's really going to give us the history of where we're at today. Do you know this? I didn't say this uh, first service. The book of Acts is the only book that's still being written. Do you know that? In fact, we're going to look at this next week, but the last, book of, uh, last verse of the book of Acts, it just kind of ends abruptly. And the reason why it does is because you and I are still living out, the church is still living out the book of Acts. I love that. So it's a historical movement from Jesus for us. By the way, that's the book of Luke. Luke, in, 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 this, in this book of Luke, Luke writes that Jesus is for us, that he came not just for Jews, but for all people. And that was good news for all of us, but especially to Luke, who wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. So the historical movement from Jesus for us, to look at this, Jesus through us. And we're going to see in the book of Acts that the main person of the book of Acts really isn't the Acts of the Apostles. And we're even going to learn it's not even Jesus. It's the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And some of you are like, who is that? Well, we're going to talk more about this throughout this series. So the night before Jesus is killed, think about this. Jesus said something that was kind of weird. How many of y'all you ever read the Bible and you're like, I don't quite understand that? Anybody besides me? I'm a preacher, and sometimes I read it, and I'm like, 
I don't quite understand that, right? Let me give you a verse that for the longest time kind of dumbfounded me. And Jesus said it the night before he was crucified. This is John 14, 12. Simply says this. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Jesus is huddled around with his 12 disciples that Thursday night before he's crucified. He says, hey, guys, I'm getting ready to leave. And they're like, where are you going? Well, you'll understand in a few moments, right? But I'm getting ready to leave, but no worries. You guys are going to do some of the same things that I have done. In fact, some of you are going to do greater things. Greater things than Jesus? How many of y'all this past week, you've done something greater than Jesus? Let me see your hand. Anyone? Anybody ever like to come down here and like spend some time talking about how you're greater than Jesus? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Right? I, here's the thing. I, I haven't done anything greater than Jesus. I haven't like resurrected anybody. I haven't turned water into wine. I have been able to successfully turn water into sweet tea. Uh, if, you, if you use enough sugar, you could do it. Just saying, right? But, I mean, I, and by the way, those that don't like sweet tea, uh, it's called the South. I'm just saying. Just saying. So, anyway, but, I mean, I, I've never done anything, the stuff that Jesus did. And I don't think any of us in here would say, yeah, I've done something even greater than Jesus. Then why did Jesus say that? It kind of leaves me scratching my head. It leaves me dumbfounded. What was Jesus talking about greater than Jesus? Here's what it means. Here's what Jesus is talking about. He was saying that while he was here on this earth, he limited himself to a physical body in one location, teaching one group of people. But what's going to happen in the book of Acts is that Jesus is going to leave. He's going to go back to heaven with his father. And when John 14, 12 says that we are now the body of Christ. And what Jesus, even though he was limited to one body, teaching one group of people at one time, now we have one billion people doing what Jesus was doing. So all of us together, we are now the body of Christ. And it all started with one. It started with one. And then it moved to 12. And the excitement and the infection, it moved to 120 and then the 3,000, and then thousands of people catch this flame and this fire of what God was doing in their life. And now, today, 2,000 years later, we have churches everywhere. We have Christians everywhere. Everybody knows the name of Jesus Christ, whether they sing it in a worship song or they say it in a cuss word. Many people, they know what Jesus and who he is. So as we talk about this, we're going to be looking at how all of this came to be. There's power working through of us. All right, what, anybody know what I got here? I got a work glove, exactly right. Now, some of you, you have work gloves, and they're brand new because you don't work. No, I'm just joking. Uh, some of you, though, I mean, you have, like, uh, you have gloves that sit around for seven months out of the year because they're winter gloves. You know, this glove, it just kind of flops around. There's nothing kind of to it. I mean, there's no power in it. It's not going to really do anything. And it just kind of sits there. And But when I take my hand and I put it inside the glove, all of a sudden, when the glove is filled, it can fulfill its purpose. It has movement. 
It has action. It has energy. It has a power to it. And what we're going to be looking at in the book of Acts is that God wants to fill you up. He wants to fill you up. Right? He wants to pump you up. He wants to give you action. He wants to give your life movement. And that will only come when you are filled with God. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this book. So, power. It gives us power. But by itself, the glove has no power. 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 When I think of power, you know what I think about? I think about this guy on the screen behind me. Wait for it. By the way, our media team, let's give it up for our media team. They're great. We're clapping because we're praying in Jesus' name that you will forward this slide. When I, when I, oh, they're awesome, awesome. So when I think of power, I think of this guy. I mean, I'm sure you think of power. You think of this guy too, right? His name is Leo Sealard. Leo Sealard. In 1939, Leo, uh, he was an eccentric, charming Hungarian physicist who fled Hungary during the Nazi occupation. He came to the United States. He started working and teaching at Columbia University in New York. And in his research, he realized a process that some of his colleagues were developing called nuclear fission. He realized that if he took that process and applied it to uranium, that theoretically it could set off an explosive chain reaction. So Leo, he went down the hallway there at Columbia University, and he talked to another friend by the name of Eugene Wigner. Eugene was also a Hungarian physicist, and as they talked, they began to realize that this was a lot bigger than just Eugene and Leo. In fact, it was a lot bigger than just Columbia University. In fact, it was a lot bigger than just New York, and they decided we've got to talk to somebody about this. And as they were processing, who do we talk to? Who do we talk to? Who do we talk to? They realized, we need to speak to a guy by the name of Albert Einstein. So they started inquiring, where is Albert Einstein right now? And they realized that Albert Einstein was actually in New York State, in upper New York State, and he was vacationing in a cabin. So him and Eugene get in a car, they drive, and they're looking all around town. Hey, does anybody know where Albert Einstein is? And this little boy says, yeah, I know where he's staying. I'll get in a car with you, and I'll take you to him. It's a, it was a different time back then. Can we all be agreed? <laughs> right? Just saying. So the little kid gets in the car, takes him to the cabin, and Eugene and Leo knock on the door. And unannounced, they show up, and Albert Einstein opens the door says, we would like to have 15 minutes of your time. And they sat down, Leo and Albert Einstein, and they started talking about this whole idea of nuclear fission. And all of it was based upon research that Albert Einstein done 30 years prior. Albert Einstein was also a Jewish refugee from Europe that fled because of the Nazi occupation. And over the next 15 minutes, as they started having this dialogue, they realized this is huge. The implications of this information literally are explosive. And they sit down, they wrote a letter to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And this letter started off the Manhattan Project, which my grandfather was a part of. And this Manhattan Project gave us the atomic bomb, the Nola Gay, the explosion over, over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And think about this. 
the implications of this and this raw power, we're still talking about today, aren't we? Uh, just this past weekend, uh, North Korea, what did they test? An ICBM of nuclear cap- uh, capabilities. We're still talking about Iran getting a nuclear weapon. We, we still are talking about the implications of this information of power. Think about that. Power. When we go back 2,000 years ago, we meet another group of Jewish refugees huddled in a cabin up in a room. And they've just gotten some information that they've realized the implications that could change the direction of this world, could change the directions of history. They realized that this information would change mankind as they knew it. So they had to figure out, how do we handle this kind of information? So in Acts 1, that's where we're going. Everything, history changes, is what it says. In my first book, I told you everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles the further instructions through the who? Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit is a who. It's not an yet. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. We're going to be talking a lot more about who he is over the next few weeks. During the 40 days after he suffered and died... He appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was what? Actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. You see, the key, the nuclear power chain reaction phrase here in this passage that we just read, the information that changed the course of history was this, that Jesus is actually alive. You know, the old news has become, the good news has become old news to many of us. We think about Jesus is alive. Oh, that's Easter. Yeah, okay, give me something else, preacher. Let's go deeper than this. But you think about it. At this point in this time, this had really never happened before. Yeah, Jesus had brought somebody back from the dead, but no one had ever come back from the dead under their own will. And it's like Jesus... He said, you know what? I am done being dead. Just Jesus, two months earlier, he was dead. He wasn't kind of dead. He wasn't kind of like the Princess Bride movie, mostly dead. Right? He was really, really dead. His disciples had seen him beaten. Disciples had seen him crucified. They had taken nails and rammed them through his his wrist and his feet. They had put a crown of thorns on his head. They had stabbed him in a spear in his side into his rib cage, and water and blood came poured out because they had punctured the pericardial sac surrounding his heart. He, he, he was taken down after he had said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Bible says he gave up his spirit, and he died. And the disciples, they were brokenhearted. They all fled. And they took his body off the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they were there, and they were wrapping his body with linen and spices, over a 100 pounds of spices. And as they wrapped him and mummified him up, they placed him, Joseph placed him in his own tomb. 
a tomb that had never been used before. And they rolled this big, big stone across it. And then the Romans put seals all over it so that no one could break the tomb. And they said he was dead. No one ever left a Roman crucifixion who witnessed one and said, you know what, I wonder if he survived. You didn't survive. He was dead. And just 40 days before this, Jesus was gone. Friday, Saturday happened. Jesus is dead. And Sunday morning, did you know it's Sunday morning, nobody was at the tomb waiting, going, what's going to happen? They were, the disciples weren't there going, okay, ten, nine, eight, cue the sun, six, somebody cue the music, five, four. They weren't there. Because they weren't expecting him to rise from the dead. But he did. He, he rose from that. He says, I am tired of death. I removed death's sting. And that implication of what he did 2,000 years ago on that Sunday morning has far-reaching effects to all of us because it proves to us that death is not the end. And some of you, you need to be reminded of that. That death is not, does not have the final say. That with Jesus, we can be made alive just as God in Jesus has been made alive. And he says, I'm done being dead. How many of y'all, you just got done of stuff? Some of you, you're just like, I'm done working out. How many of y'all? I'm done. All right? I am, I'm done. I'm done with whatever it is. That's how Jesus was. He said, I'm done. I'm getting up. And just like that, he woke up. And he took off his linens. He folded them neatly. He's like, let's do this. And that, I mean, and what's so cool about that is that power, that nuclear power that rose Jesus from the dead and made alive is now made to you and to me. You don't have a Messiah without having a resurrected person. The only Messiah who is a valid Messiah is the one that has died and now have been raised to life again. And only one person has done that, who suffered a literal death and who was bodily resurrected from the grave. In the words of Toynbee, he says this, you find the body of Christ, you find the body of Jesus, Christianity crumbles to dust. That Jew, if you can find him, you have ruined Christianity. Jesus being raised is the cornerstone of the faith. You know, some of you, you're here and you're like, okay, I get that, but I, how do you know? How do you know? I mean, we're a scientific age and we want to prove stuff and we want to, we want to, how, how, give me proof. Don't just ask me to follow blindly. Okay, glad you're here. I'm going to give you some proof. I'm not going to give you one, two, I'm not going to give you three. I'm going to give you four proofs that Jesus is alive. This is what it says. He also, verse 3, presented himself alive by what? Many what? Convincing proofs. Now, some of you, you need proof. Some of you, you had too much proof last night. Right? So, some of y'all, you had 180 proof. All right? 
But I'm telling you, he wants to give you four proofs this morning that Jesus is alive. Number one, appearing to them. That's visual proof. Over a period of 40 days, that's chronological proof. And speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God, that's audible proof. Then look at verse 4. Once while he was eating with them, that's proof 4. Eating. Dead things don't eat. Right? How many of y'all plan on eating after I get finished? Some of you like, wrap this puppy up because I want to eat now. All right? I understand that. But guess what? It says he ate with them and he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promises, I told you before. We're going to be talking a lot about this next verse next week. But the fourth proof is that he ate with them. In fact, in John chapter 21, he, he, he was dead. Now he's, he's raised to life. It says, John 21 says, he cooked them a meal and he ate with them. How many of y'all, you, you, some of you are like, this was just a hallucination. TV timeout. How many of y'all ever hallucinated and like somebody, you, a meal just appeared before you? Anyone? Some of you are like, and you open up, oh, the food ain't made yet, right? Nobody cooked it, and, and so this is what you're doing again. Where the Doritos, right? Some of you, some of you, see, hallucinations. Some of y'all doing a little bit too much of that, all right? Just saying, happy, sleepy, hungry. That's, I know how it is, all right? But here's the thing about this. Hallucinations don't cook a meal for you. Wouldn't it be great if they did? Wouldn't it be great if you're like, I wish somebody would come in and cook and then clean up after this stuff. But hallucinations don't cook a meal. Jesus was alive. He cooked a meal, and not only that, he ate with them, right? Hallucinations don't, don't take a piece of biscuit and, and it go down in the gullet. That, that, hallucinations don't do that. So you're thinking, okay, well, I need proofs today, okay? Well, you show me today how you, I can prove scientifically that Abraham Lincoln ever lived. I can't. Because the only way you can scientifically prove something is by repeating it over and over. And I can't bring back Abraham Lincoln. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can look at historical records and facts and things that he wrote and other people who saw him, and I can do the exact same thing with Jesus Christ. You see, some of you, your faith is too small. And you're like, okay, I don't believe because I, I had a college professor that debunked this book. Take, take the Bible out of it. My faith is not based upon the Bible. My faith is based on the historical fact that Jesus was dead and now he is alive again. And let me show you. This is, I, love, uh, I, I love this is how this works. Is, is the reason why I'm a Christian. The reason why Christianity is alive. It's the reason why the Christianity is, is different than any other religion. Because he was dead, then he was alive. Muhammad didn't do that. You hear what I'm saying? Confucius didn't do that. Buddha did not do that. Your cat does not come back from the, from the grave. He don't. Only one person did that. His name is Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says. And if Jesus had not been raised. He says, okay, let's play a what-if game. What if Jesus had never been raised from the dead? What would happen? This is what he says. Then your faith is useless. You see, if Jesus is still dead, we just need to go home. You're wasting your time. 
I am wasting your time if Jesus is still dead. But can I tell you something? Y'all lean in. This is a secret. Jesus is alive. He is not there. He is risen. And that power has changed the course of history forever. If Jesus has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Christianity is hinged on the fact that Jesus has been raised to life. It's not just based upon the book or a Bible. It's not based upon it. It's based upon the historical fact that Jesus was walking, talking, and eating after his death. And if you're here, if you struggle with your faith, maybe you struggle with the church, maybe you struggle in believing a book to be true, I get it. If you struggle with your faith, sometimes so do I. I get that. But the one thing that I can't get over, and I promise you, you won't be able to get over either, is the fact that Jesus was killed, and then he decided, I think I'm going to be alive again. That changed history. Paul said it like this. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said, just as the Bible said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. But hear me, the source of Christianity isn't a book. It isn't just because the Scriptures say. We can trust the Scriptures. I believe we can. But you can take that out of it. He gives us more proof. Look at the next verse. He was seen by Peter. Now, if we could just stop there and say, okay, maybe Peter had some bad fish tacos the night before, right? right? Maybe it was hallucination. Okay, hang on to it. Then he was seen by the 12. That's a little bit difficult having everybody hallucinate the same person at the same time. Probably never happened. And look at this. And after that, he was seen by what? More than 500 of his followers at one time. You remember Frank walked down to Piggly Wiggly? You remember him? He saw him. He was one of the 500. Go talk to Frank. In fact, he says he was seen at 500 Jesus followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. As he's writing this, he says, you know, remember Bill down at the compete in Winn-Dixie? Right? He was there. Go talk to Bill. He heard him teach. Go to Thomas. He put his hand in his side, put his finger in the nail holes, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James his stepbrother, Jesus' stepbrother, James, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he is the Messiah? Right? Think about that. What would your brother or sister have to do to convince you that they're the son or daughter of God? Right? James, Jesus' stepbrother, said, I believe in him. That right there is enough for me. And later, by all the apostles, last of all, though I've been born, almost born at the wrong time, I also saw him. You know, all of history pointed to that moment when Jesus got up from that grave. From creation, all throughout the Old Testament of kings and prophets, all pointed to the instant where Jesus said, I'm done with death. I am alive. 
Everything changed because of the resurrection. The world's concept of God changed instantly because of the resurrection. God cannot be thought of as an abstract concept. Because of the resurrection, God is not just some cosmic force. Because of the resurrection, God is not just some higher power. Because of the resurrection, God is not just an intelligent designer. Because of the resurrection, God is no longer just a distant figure who occasionally gets involved in history. No. Because of the resurrection, Jesus, he became incarnate. He became in meat. And he became God with us, Emmanuel. And he lived for 33 years with us. And he died for us. And he was made alive with us so that you could be made alive today. Because of the resurrection, everything has changed. Buddha cannot be God. Muhammad is not God. And I I understand we need to be tolerant and we're not going to attack people because of their beliefs. But let me tell you, not every belief is right. It's not. Some of you, you believe that you can fly. I believe I can fly. You believe that. Get on top of this building believing that you can fly. I believe that you can fly. Some of you believe. You flap it hard enough. Right? I believe I can touch the sky. Right? You believe. I also believe I'm going to be visiting you in Tonova with broken legs, and you might be dead. Because you can believe intensely in something, but if it's not the right something, you will fall and you will fail. I can tell you today, today, God wants to have a relationship with you. And it only happens through his son. Jesus said this in John 14, 6, that I am the way, talking about himself, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus gave us no room to say, yeah, you can believe Jesus and something else. No. It's just Jesus. That's all you need. He is all you need. For some of you, you need to hear that because you've been going to church for a while and you're like, I need something deeper. Let me tell you how deep you need to get. Jesus loves me. This I know. That's about as deep as you need to go. Because with Jesus and the resurrection, everything changed. And it can, your everything can change today. Did you know that? Your family can change. Some of you men... You're intolerable at home. I'm going to be honest with you, because I hear some of the ladies. And you don't need counseling. You need Jesus Christ. You do. Some of you women, all you do is spend money like it's going out of style because you are trying to fill something inside of you that's a void that money and Gucci cannot fill. Just can't. Only Jesus can fill. So right now, I'm going to invite you to begin a relationship with him. Let's all talk to God. Let's close our eyes, and that's what prayer is. It's just talking to God. You ain't got to say it wrong or right. You just say it. You just cry out to God and say, God, I need you. I need you. I've tried it without you. I've busted my life up without you. I've done everything I can without you, and it's all in shambles. 
So God, I'm going to try something new this morning. I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. So God, I'm asking you to come into my heart, come into my life, and I trust you. I still have questions. I still don't know what all this church and Bible stuff is all about, but I'm going to trust you for my eternity. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you need to do two things. Number one, I'd love for you to come and and talk with me out at the Next Steps table because I want to celebrate with you. One of the things I'd love to be able to give you is a Bible. We give away Bibles for free here at OneChurch.tv. And you just need to start reading it. Just start reading the book of Acts. Some of you, if you're a Christ follower, I'm going to challenge you. Start reading the book of Acts. But after I give you that Bible, the next thing I'm going to tell you is you need to go public with your faith. And how we do that is through baptism. And by the way, we're going to be dunking and baptizing some people tonight. All right? Now, we don't do things like your normal church does. Some of y'all, y'all get in a robe, right? And you get the gloves on. And as the handball choir plays, you know, we, you know, no, we don't do that. We baptize via water slide. So uh, tonight at Tiebreaker, make sure to come and go public with your faith. We want to celebrate with you. I'm going to pray with us, and, then, and we're going to go and be the church. Y'all ready to do this? Let's all stand up. Go ahead. Y'all can do it. It's like, uh, does, my, does my legs work? All right, here you go. They work. All right. God, we love you. And Lord, we're so grateful, Lord, that we could be able to come and learn more and understand more about this history book and how all of this got started, how the church got started. And God, I pray today, I pray that the power of the resurrection would change our lives and would change our week, would change how we treat our spouse and how we treat our friends. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much that you died for our sins, but you did not stay dead so that we could have power today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys go and be the church.